Well, but that, that was found... Wasn't that found to be not? There was not substantial evidence. But, that, for but my that. question is, uh, my question is different. My question, oh, I'm, regardless of whatever, my question okay. is, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever, regardless whatever. of Russians. the claim I just made, <laughs> whatever. No, hey, no, no. Vlad, if you're listening, you know, whatever. <laughs> we hope my you and Jeff Bezos high five. My question is specific. So, the Russian propaganda interfering with the U.S. election. Hello, and welcome to the Inconclusive Podcast, where we randomly select topics and argue about them. Coming up Inconclusive, my name is James. My name is Abigail. And my name is Candice. All three of us are educators at an international school in Taiwan and bring wildly different perspectives to the table. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Inconclusive Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or email us at theinconclusivepodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's important to note that our individual opinions do not necessarily reflect those of our employer. Okay, let's begin. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite inconclusive podcast. I'm here with Candace and Abigail. Hey. Hey, all. And today we are going to vote. Maybe. Did you guys bring your IDs? I, I don't I have not. the proper oh. ID. Actually, I have all of my IDs. You have all your, you bring all your IDs wherever you like go? Like all? Yes. What a responsible person. Yeah, I know. It's, I get either of those reactions of either, wow, that's, that's brave or you're stupid. <laughs> like, I didn't say that's passport? brave. Passport? Yeah. I like carrying my passport. Pass- okay. I carry my not, passport with me at all times. Why? Smart. I don't know. I've just always felt safer so ever since I've had it. As long as I've had my passport, I carry it with me at all Even times. Even when you were in the States? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yep. That's like, I cannot. It's like in a locked box in another locked box. <laughs> well, where? Where exactly would those locked boxes be? Well, in another locked box. Okay, so, <laughs> story. My sister's uh, passport, she kept it, they kept it in a locked box at the bank, and then they forgot to get it before she had to go to Spain with my dad. Oh, yeah. And my mom, like, she felt so, so bad because she had said that she was going to get it or something, and then she was planning on getting it and forgot that the bank would lock for the weekend because it was a national holiday. So, oh, that I remember that was the most stressful I've ever seen my mom is because she, she Were they like, able to figure it out? They had to wait until it unlocked. So my sister missed her flight and just rescheduled for like two or three days later. And she, my mom felt so, so bad. My sister, of course, was like, it's, it's okay. <laughs> she just felt really bad. But yeah. So I don't keep my passport at a lockbox in a bank. I lose my stuff constantly when <laughs> I take it with me, as in... I've lost my phone in different stores five or six times. Um, I've lost a few full wallets of things. Um, I tend to set things full, down. Full, full. Like, like credit card. Like credit cards, like cash. Wait, how many license. times have you lost like your full wallet? Two or three. And a drive and like driver's license and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. How would that. you say? Would you? I, s- I have found it twice. I found it two out of the three times. The first time I lost it, though, you think that's when I would get better at it? Um, I couldn't find it. After and you said after that, that, I tilted my head in such surprise, I popped my neck <laughs> and felt it all the way down. That is bizarre. Yeah. I usually, I usually, three times, I usually have a friend the... who follows me places when I go and they just pick it up for me. Now that I think about it, when it's we just sigh most of the time. When we went last <laughs> summer, I do remember you either like panic looking for your phone or your all wallet. The time. Oh, it, on our, when we went to PL like last weekend yeah. when we were doing our professional <laughs> learning, you were panicking like, whoa, thinking you left your phone it? somewhere. And I didn't. It was in a bag. Yep. So anyway, that that's why sense. I don't carry. My, that is the story as to why I don't carry my passport with me anywhere. Mm. But perhaps you would carry ID if you knew you needed it. 
Yeah, but she already does need her I ID carry my where she ARC. goes. Oh, okay. There. I mean, I don't carry none of mine. Have you lost oh, your ARC yet? Good. No. Have oh, you? Because the first no. time I lost my wallet was like back in living in the States. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not here. Have you, you've like matured and no. grown oh, I, 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 I got married since then. Oh. <laughs> so if someone picks you know, it up two behind eyes me, keeping cop track out. of same things. Four eyes. That's, that's a cop out. It's well, like, two, sorry, two pairs of like eyes. Two pairs Personal growth, just get a ring on my finger. <laughs> Wow. Um, also, I go, I take people places. You wouldn't, I mean, you would not be surprised we've traveled together. The mm. amount of times that other people, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> this is the only thing, but like, I would be absolutely lost without friends going with me places to be like, is that your water bottle? Is that your phone? Is that your wallet? <laughs> is that your bag? <laughs> without that, I would be totally mm. hosed. Interesting term there. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I don't know if I've ever used the term hosed. So today we're talking about voter fraud and voter ID laws, which I think in the past two election cycles have been concerns for both parties in the United States. I think when Donald Trump was first elected in 2016, there was that whole thing about like Russia, were Mm -hmm. they involved in the election? Was there some kind of fraud in in that whole thing? But that didn't feel like... voter fraud that felt like it was election fraud election fraud, yeah um and then in this most recent election cycle um former president donald trump had a lot to say about voter fraud and Mm -hmm. especially with like covid going on absentee ballots mail-in ballots and all that kind of stuff he was not a big fan um and definitely was not after he found out he lost which Mm -hmm. is always one of those things that's like well it's easy to be like, there was a problem with the system after you didn't benefit from the system. It's really interesting. Okay, so let's just talk about, I don't know the validity of any of this. I didn't like look into it anymore. I love it when <laughs> sentences start with, I don't know the validity of anything I'm about to say. Yeah, who knows? Um, but aliens. On <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Leave my aliens alone. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I was reading on Reddit that... Ah. <laughs> right? So who knows the great the foundation of, of all knowledge. human knowledge. But on it, and it was like, I don't know. I, I'm telling you, I don't know the validity of it. But that Republicans tend to like the more complicated voting systems that have harder wording and whatnot because they always do better in places that have confusing polls than in the mail-in ballots or like the check the box ones, the ones that are like electronic or have like check here if you don't want to vote for. Republicans always end up doing better in those places because of misvotes. Republicans also tend to do better, well, from from a lot of, they've done a lot of studies on voter things like that. Voter patterns. Um, yeah, and usually a lower ter- voter turnout benefits Republicans yeah. and a higher voter turnout benefits Democrats, even though this most recent election saw the highest turnout of either party f- for all of U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. What a record. Joe Joe still pulled it off. <laughs> um, but that's what you just said, though. Democrats do better with higher turnout. Yes. Right. So yeah, that would have exactly. that would yeah fit. even exactly. even with high Republican yeah. turnout, it's just because it was matched. But by like higher Democratic yeah, turnout. like both Democrat and Republican turnout were at the highest they've ever been this mm-hmm. past election cycle. Right. That's okay, wild. okay. Isn't there something? I remember reading this uh, a couple of months ago that there there is a strong correlation, very strong correlation between populate population density and your party status that the huh. I think it's something about the more people per square mile in the US the more people are likely to be democrat in that square mile 
and the less there are, the more likely there are to be. Oh, that makes sense though, I because think they think get the urban, urban versus yeah. yeah. rural. Yeah. They, but they broke it down to they can figure out if based on the population density of an area how many people will be a Democrat versus Republican. That absolutely makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Which is um, scary. I don't know why. I don't oh, know. Like, but that does, right? So the, you're more spread out, so you're going to um, be without rubbing shoulders with people who have different beliefs or who mm. are very much different than you as much. Uh, this is me thinking, because I, I grew up in rural East Texas, and then we lived in a 14-acre farm surrounded by hundreds of acres, like like not 100, but hundreds of acres mm-hmm. of cattle farms that were owned very, like, like down our whole street, there was only four houses and it was like a massive few mile road because of all the, f- the farms, right? Mm-hmm. But so that's kind of my frame of reference, right? So everyone kind of is the same. You're all kind of doing the same stuff out mm-hmm. on your land. You're doing, you're trying to, where we were, it was cattle farming um, and whatnot, but you're not interacting with people who are very different than you because you're not interacting with a lot of people and the people that you are interacting with are the same as you and mm-hmm. you've moved to an area either because you've grown up there or you've moved there to do a very specific thing surrounded by other people who are doing the same mm. specific thing. To me, that makes sense, right? You're not getting the ideologies, but when you're more densely populated, like in a big city, odds are five to 10 other people are going to have different beliefs than you. And you're going to the same schools, same grocery stores. Yeah. But why wouldn't, why would it swing Republican rural Democrat urban well, or city life? I think that comes from the ways that a lot of the benefits of, uh, like Republican ideologies goes in like protecting farmers or oil or things like that. It tends to be more and like um, me, it like aligns better with government. rural industries. Yeah, rural I think. industry. Whereas mm. the urbans are more like perceived, you know, like the urban elites yeah. or the east, mm-hmm. you know, the coastal elites or whatever. But people. it's because because Democrat does more with like urban, better with urban po- rural poverty in general. But they talk more about that's like, also a big part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, but poverty. but helping, but like the way that the Democrats help doesn't make sense. I think a lot of the time in rural areas mm-hmm. like because if we can just do our oil or we can just farm our cattle or if we can just run our agriculture whatever then we will be fine mm-hmm. whereas a lot of the time you don't have that option if you're in poverty in a big city mm. it's like there's nothing else and with that i think we need to take a quick break And welcome to Elusive Illusions with Candace, where I do not do magic with illusions, but explain references used in film, music, or literature. Today's illusion is gung-ho. Gung-ho means unthinkingly enthusiastic and eager, especially about taking part in fighting or warfare. It came from gung-ho in Mandarin, meaning to work together. According to an interview in a 1943 Life magazine article, during the Second World War, U.S. Marine Corps Major Evan Carlson He said, I was trying to build up the same sort of working spirit I had seen in China, where all the soldiers dedicated themselves to one idea and worked together to put that idea over. I told the boys about it again and again. I told them of the motto of the Chinese cooperatives, Gung Ho. It meant work together, work in harmony. The term grew to be so popular that it became the title of a 1943 movie. We hear this allusion used in a 1986 film called Gung Ho about an American automotive plant worker who convinces a Japanese firm to invest in the factory. Here's how you would use this allusion in a sentence. She was all gung ho to get rid of her old clothes as her closet was too full to buy more. Gung Ho. Gung Ho. 
Hello, listeners. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about... Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> she was not ready. <laughs> I was just looking at you. I was, okay. You are starting. Before the break, we were talking about uh, discrepancies in Republican and Democrat, I guess, voter bases, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and so, unsurprisingly, Republicans and Democrats have uh, very different views on the idea of voter fraud and what to do about voting and... I think they each side has a different view on what is the ultimate good of voting and what is the like the ideal circumstance for a vote um, and how it should take place. So I'm curious what you guys think of the question of like what does it mean to have a good and fair vote or a good and fair election? Fair and open, I think, is the the term they usually describe it. Fair and open election. What do you guys think? Um, defines that can i think in a very microcosm way please do let's say that i posed a vote in my classroom for the person to represent be the homework representative i i assign one person to be the only one that i will aim or answer their emails or messages on the weekends or later at night if i happen to see it everyone else you have to wait or ask your homework rep so um, that's actually not a bad idea. It's a gr- it's been really good as far as for the you last actually, like four years. Oh, I've done this for four that's years. Such a yeah. great idea. It, I got it from I don't remember which teacher I observed. They had class jobs, and it's one of the jobs listed is to have just one person that's um, the person that you'll answer their questions if they send a Google like, chat message at eight o'clock at night, like past you, working hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a great mm-hmm. idea. That way, all of the students will then ask that one person. So they, I feel bad for pick, that one person. Well, they always try to pick somebody who is on their computer later at night so that the others mm. can, when they're working on homework, email that person or message them and say, Hey, what did she say to do about this thing? So normally I hold an election for it, but the election isn't fair and open for the most part, as far as private, like everyone just goes, I, or they raise their hand, but sometimes I'll do it privately. If it seems like it's going to be really close, if there's two people that both want it and, or which usually doesn't happen, but sometimes there's other class jobs that people will be fighting for, or when there's class representative elections, then we had to do a blind vote. So uh, I had everyone put their head down and raise. And so that's mm. that's not even totally fair because someone could be peeking you it, yeah. and you can hear like movement. Rustling, yeah. But at least it's a little bit more private and can't and like students can keep their hand like next to them like that and very lightly raised without making too much noise and they can try to keep it private. But yeah. What about like in a in a national election? How how would your how would your personal experience with voting apply in a national election? My thought election? is that it has to keep privacy still. Like I like the fact that we do little cubicles for voting okay. where you go into a booth. Like you shouldn't have to disclose who you voted for if you yeah. don't want to. Okay. Yeah. And I also think the the hard part about voting in a classroom setting is that I already have identity verification of everyone in the room. Like it's not like there's a random person off the street who walks into the room. I did identity verification when they came in every day. So I don't know. I feel like there's there is to a point there should be identity verification, but if we're going to have identity identity verification for voting, then there should be identity verification for everything else that is citizen participation of any kind. Whether it's purchasing firearms or having getting a driver's license or anything else that you should have to show ID of some sort to reach certain stages 
in practicing your citizen rights. So can you, what was the original question again? Like in your mind, what is the ideal free and fair election? What does it look like Um, in terms of maybe like people voting or the method privacy? Why? Like what are some, what are, what are things that you value in the process of an election? I think, I think privacy is important. Like, like you're even talking about like the microcosm of classroom voting and stuff. Like whenever you are doing public things where everyone knows opinions can get swayed pretty easily. Like it's easy to be like, Oh, my friend so-and-so voted this way. And if I don't vote that way, then they'll be mad. Right. And if you can do it privately, then you can lie about it. (laughs) If you you vote against or not share, but I mean like, or just not have friends, (laughs) you know, either of those (laughs) James's route. (laughs) Oh, Never mind. You're our friend. I know. I'm not even. I'm. I'm ignoring that because that's not even true. I have a lot of friends, Candace. Oh, okay. Okay. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> James, I believe that to be true. I believe you. I believe you. I promise. Um, but I so I think privacy is important. I also think that it's really important to have like accurate information from the least biased possible way, not just what the party wants to put out about a person. If it's going to be in some sort of a bipartisan or even. Um, it doesn't even have to be bipartisan, even if there's like 15 different parties, like it needs, to, the information about the person needs to be unbiased. Um, side note, what is 15 in geometry? Like if you had a 15 sided shape? I don't know. A polygon. This would be po- polypartisan. This <laughs> <laughs> would be a, a many sides. Many sides polypartisan. Polypartisan. Okay. Well, that sounds like Dolly partisan Parton. Partisan is side. Bi is two. two. So partisan could just be. Polypartisan. So, yeah, polypartisan. Yeah, I like it. many different parties. But it sounds like Dolly Parton's party, the polypartisan party. No, it doesn't. The Dolly Partisan Parton. No. Come no. on. No. It sounds like it. No. Anyway, carry on. Um, but fair information and accurate information, I think, is important to be able to to get to the people who are voting. Because um, it's, it's... You really, mean like for the... Can, like fair the representation candidate. of the candidates yeah. and their positions and stuff? Okay. Yeah. Like... Um, like you shouldn't have just like campaigns smearing people. Well, I mean, or, like the information that you receive to be able to vote needs to be accurate. I think political oh, campaigns will like the never ballot. change. Like the ballot or, needs to or be. Or information sent out pre-ballot. Sometimes that, I okay. feel like that Yeah, happens, there's some voter right? registration stuff, stuff that gets sent out. Yeah, um, sure. That's just, that's just this, here they are. Like here's, here's how you what do they it. voted on yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think sometimes we get, we as Americans get caught up in the bipartisanship of it and being like, oh, they're a Republican. They've always voted this way on things or, oh, they're a Democrat. These are the things I can guarantee, but that's not really true. Like there are um, Republicans who have very democratic ideas in certain aspects mm-hmm. and like very sure. specific and like socially this versa. way or economically yeah and i just way, think that know. if you're really trying to have some sort of a for the people by the people everyone it's just you need that information mm-hmm. um i think where i struggle the most actually is identification mm-hmm. because um historically in the states specifically identification has been used to be exclusionary and it's not no everyone way. has well not everyone has easy access to it because identification is not free so to be able to have a uh-huh. way to identify yourself as as who you are like driver's license costs mm-hmm. money Get, and if you don't have your like birth certificate because you were adopted or because of a situation mm. a fire situation mm. or because of abusive family or because of you know mm. the list is long then it costs more money to get it again to be able to go mm-hmm. and get an ID that's appropriate um, also there have been like um, 
recently thinking in the last several years in Texas specifically, some stuff has been happening with Border Patrol of using ID to detain legal American citizens, claiming that they were fraudulent with their ID, even if they had birth certificates and whatnot. ICE had been, yeah. And so then there's a safety risk if you're not white to be able to show ID sometimes. Why is the world this way? I hate that. I think uh, there's, well, let me, I'll give my answer to the election question, and then we can kind of get into You brought up a lot of things, so I think will be the main part of this podcast. Um, I think a fair, I, I would agree with you. Actually, I, I think I'd agree with both of you. should be private in my mind. I also think that the result should accurately reflect the um, desires of the people. I think voting is one of the most important parts of a democracy, I would say. Yeah, I think I Along agree. with mm-hmm. freedom of speech and I would think vote, like representation, those are all really important parts of democracy. So well, I, I would think, think that like voting is just a brilliant extension of freedom of speech too. For sure. In, for a, sure. in a way, Definitely. you know, like mm-hmm. you can't have really one without the well, other. Well, but you know, well, you could have speech without it making a difference. That's true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you could go and say things, but right. it doesn't matter. Right. right. Yeah. That's, um, I guess that's true. Um, so I think, I think a fair election is really, I think in a favor of preserving a true democracy, which I think all of us would agree with. Um, no, we don't have a true democracy, right? It's a democratic republic. Because if it were true well, democracy, right, we'd have true. to vote on every single thing yeah, that that's came true. through. Yeah. The or a representative, a representative republic, which yeah. I think it's like half voting would be key, right? Because we mm-hmm. don't really want, neither party would want something that not the people want right. uh, to go through. That's and right. I think there's a lot of times there's perceptions that like, I mean, it's really, it's a really partisan thing. <laughs> like, oh, because I was going to say that. I don't agree with you. I don't agree that... Um, You'd want people to vote in power. By what the people? No, no, I don't think people who are in power always care what the people want. I think that the people in power care where the money is, and I feel like that's been proven over and over in different types of elections. But they also, they also are willing to do to an extent of what they think their voter base is based upon what their party line is, even though if someone who voted them in or groups voted them in doesn't. And I think that comes to how how partisan America is. Like the U.S. is just so partisan that there are times where things, um, especially like thinking through all of this, like recent election stuff where people have been not forced, but felt forced to vote in a certain way, even though the base doesn't necessarily want it as much because it's what the line of the party wants. And you have to vote that way to be able to keep your ticket as a Republican or as a Democrat, you have to vote in this certain way on this certain issue where you can't stay in the party. And so, yeah, so I, so I disagree. I don't think at least in the States, how it works right now, the rep who you're voting for always necessarily cares about what you think. I think the hard part about that though is Okay, backstory. I've told you all separately that you need to read this book because (laughs) this book has blown my mind and is very jarring. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. Hello, and welcome to Hilarious Happenings in History, where I explore strange but true events from human history. Today's event is the construction of Fort Blunder. It was just after the War of 1812, and to prepare for any future war with Canada, a new fort was to be built by Lake Champlain on the New York-Canadian border. 
It was a massive octagonal fort structure with 30-foot-high walls capable of stopping any British warship. The only problem is they accidentally built it half a mile over the Canadian border because of a surveyor's error. The Americans immediately halted all construction and abandoned the half-finished fort. Locals scavenged the deserted piles of lumber, bricks, windows, and doors for their own homes. So essentially, to prepare for war with Canada, the Americans built a fort for Canada. It was nicknamed Fort Blunder, but later had its name changed to Fort Montgomery. Nowadays, the fort faces structural instability because the iron reinforcing rods were removed for scrap metal drives in World War II. Thanks for listening to Hilarious Happenings in History. Catch you next time! Welcome back, listeners. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about our initial impressions of elections and voter identification laws. And Candace was about to tell us something super duper interesting about some <laughs> super duper interesting book. <laughs> so, was it I, written by who's it written by? It was not written by Malcolm Gladwell. Wow. Though it was basically a Malcolm Gladwell if he were wildly conservative and a psychologist. I think he's a sociologist. I think Gladwell is. Maybe. So I I told you all about this, that I was trying to read books from across the political spectrum last year, and I accidentally continued that journey with this book. It's masquerading as a uh, guide to life. It says 12 Rules for oh, Life, yeah. but it is by Jordan B. Peterson, Doctor. Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, and it's simultaneously profound and angering. Total. Total side note, yeah. he does a really interesting lecture series mm. on the Bible really? from a completely atheistic psychological mm-hmm. perspective, yeah. and it's fascinating. He does that, that, that a lot like in the book. It is very interesting. He, he talks about drawing connections between um, like Taoist principles and storytelling and Genesis, and it is all very interesting because it seems like he's coming at it from an atheist perspective. I wasn't sure. Um, Yeah, but one of the things that he brought up was that when we are talking about society as a thing that we need to fix, and if we're talking about that always looking at those that are in power as corrupt and saying that power, we need to just dismantle the current power structures in order to achieve a better world. One of his rules in the 12 rules was uh, something about fix your own house before you fix the world, something Mm -hmm. like that, where he said, if you yourself aren't able to regulate your behavior or keep uh, perfect order in your house, you can't say that current systems in the world are um, need to be dismantled and that you could replace them. Yes. So, I hate that. I know, I, I know, I know. I knew you would hate it. I knew you would. But one of the things that he talked about with it was that um, anytime we we put ourselves against current power structures just because they they seem to be against other things, it doesn't necessarily help the world become better. Because if we're willing to dismantle that current power structure, we have to have a better alternative for where where it can go, and we have to think through how it can be replaced or go better. So what you said earlier about politicians are always... Uh, corrupt. I think that's just the that's human nature, or that's uh, that's our sin nature coming out. I that didn't say politicians have... are always corrupt, but it is a just Republican ones, right? I would go. No, oh, Democratic ones are too. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Excuse me. I'm just kidding. Um, 
Excuse me. I would not be a corrupt politician. <laughs> really? Really? Again. That with a straight face. I feel like nature. every politician probably said that before. They were like, I'm going to be fair. That's true. It's true. Good. Same thing with us when we became teachers. We, we said something like, oh, yeah, I'll, like they, they always talk about it in your master's program or the first time you hear a teacher talk. They say, you either become a teacher because you love the content or you, you love the kids. Loved the kids or you were inspired by a teacher or you hated a teacher and that you wanted to become the teacher that the students needed. Exactly. Exactly. And so like that sort of blind hero ship that we feel for ourselves where we're like, we will step in and become the one that there's clearly a vacuum in the world. No, it's just that you had a teacher that maybe wasn't the best for you at a certain time, Mm. but you feel like you are the solving the solution to the world's problem of a teacher vacuum. Sorry, that was my teacher rant. <laughs> Fun fact, I did not become a teacher for any of those reasons. You came, you said that you became a teacher to reach out to the kids that felt like they were outcasts or maybe but could not have been. Because I had a bad teacher. Sounds like you, you, I think you put it as because they have a potential bad future without you. Not like without me. They could me. become serial killers. I said, well, there's a whole story behind that. Maybe <laughs> this is not the time or the place for that. But it's because without having connection with someone who cares about them, kids have a higher risk of like a higher risk factor later in life um, for serial killing, mm-hmm. but for other things as well. Mm-hmm. And so if just one kid out of, well, seven years of teaching feels some sort of a desire to not kill anyone mm. because someone cared about them, then... That's good enough. Well done. But I really became a teacher. I mean, that was one of the reasons, but like the actual deciding factor is it's easy to move internationally with a teaching degree. <laughs> mm, wow. Nice. <laughs> so back to voting and things like that. Um, there's this term that's been circulating around voter fraud. And uh, depending on, or election fraud, sometimes they're used interchangeably, depending on your party and interestingly the year <laughs> you will have very different views on this but um there's there've been plenty of studies on whether or not there's widespread voter fraud as has been claimed by former president Donald Trump and there's in fact not uh it is uh in April 2020 there was a study by MIT that found that the level of fraud is exceedingly rare since it only occurs in 0.00006% of instances nationally. And that is actually, you're five, it's five times less likely than getting hit by lightning. Wow. <laughs> Which I don't think any of us would necessarily base policy off of a chance of getting hit by lightning. But in the Although popular- you should still install lightning rods. But in the popular vote, wasn't it in 2016, the the popular vote was within like 50,000 people between Hillary and and the Don? So, right. So like in when you're looking at percent and if you're counting votes that are in the millions, Mm -hmm. then it it starts to make slight differences. But I would say not as not much, not enough to swing a vote significantly. Mm. So then most people are really arguing about the minutia. And I think like a few close calls in the past for specifically Gore versus Bush in Florida, where it was like literally thousands. That's Mm -hmm. when people are like, okay, like if there are, there are a couple thousand fraudulent votes, however you do. So there's like different forms of fraudulent vote. People vote twice. People impersonate someone else to vote. They vote as dead people who, yeah, vote so like fraud like voting as someone else mm-hmm. who may may or may not be dead. 
convicted felons, mm-hmm. right? I think we had an episode where we talked about yeah. whether or not yeah. convicted felons could vote and sometimes they get in and vote and all that kind of stuff. So all of those things are all kind of grouped under this blanket term of fraud. But there's also like vote buying or vote like intimidation. All of those are also fraud because we actually didn't define our term at the very beginning. Oh, Voter fraud is illegal interference with the process of any election. And so whenever an act is interfering with an election, you could consider it to be fraud because mm-hmm. it would produce an outcome that does not accurately reflect quote, the will of the people, mm. however you wanted to find so that. So would, that would go into, I know we were very briefly talked about in our very first segment when we weren't defining the terms, but when like Russia was interfering, that is election fraud because it was kind of over mass, but that would be still fraud. be the kind of falling into the voter fraud because you're making decisions based upon specific propaganda that isn't but those are still rep, quote unquote representing the people. If, if Th- that's they, what I was going to ask, yeah, because like if you're making a decision based upon a piece of propaganda that's not necessarily true, it's still mm-hmm. you're believing a lie. It's still your will. That, so that's like what if, I was going to so get. As asked, in, like, so. uh, I don't think voter fraud applies to people who make misinformed decisions. Mm-hmm. If that are you, is that I what you're asking? I guess that's what I'm asking for. So like when yeah. Russia was interfering with the election, they were doing like campaigns through social media, right? Right. Like, yeah. That was a big Basically. thing. Right. So it was missing, or like, they were. Yeah, they were just sending propaganda, out, yeah, so, so that way it was sure. intentionally to keep people from voting towards mm-hmm. Clinton and wanted mm-hmm. people to vote towards Trump. Right, and it was an intentional interference. But people, who well, but voted, that that was found wasn't that found to be not there was not substantial evidence. But, for that, but that. my question is the, my question is different. My question, oh, I'm, regardless of whatever, my question okay. is. Whatever. <laughs> whatever, regardless whatever. of Russians. the claim I just made, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. No, hey, no, no, Vlad, if you're listening, you know, whatever. We hope my you and Jeff Bezos high five. My question is specific. So the Russian propaganda interfering with the U.S. election, if I was someone who changed my vote based upon propaganda that I saw on Facebook that was that was put on Facebook by Russia mm-hmm. and I made a vote towards yeah. Trump because yeah. of that, that's mm-hmm. not voter fraud because no. it was my will at the time. Right. It's a whole different thing. That was my question. Right. Regardless correct. of whether it was statistically that's more significant like, or through the election or not. That's, that's more like right. propaganda and how that affects. But that also does play a role. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So in the kind of idea of voter fraud, one of the alternatives that people have posed is for stricter ID laws. And I actually don't really think it makes sense to base policy around 0.00006%. So I actually want to think about voter ID law in principle, if that's possible for us to like kind of separate ourselves from. Because usually, and as we've talked about, like politicians are usually corrupt, because human nature fair. is corrupt. Because human nature is well, corrupt, and they want the to top percentages of psychopaths, psychopaths. right? Yeah. Oh, so they want to. True. I forgot They want to pick something, or they want their policies to m- most ensure that they keep power. Of course. Right. Of course. So whenever a situation benefits one party, that's usually what they're going to go with. So if possible, I kind of want us to maybe have a discussion like away from that. And okay. to discuss this on principle. <laughs> I feel like that was at me. Are you, are you suggesting that we not take this discussion personally? Or no, politically. No, no. Mm-hmm. Because I think, like, I personally don't have a problem with voter ID because in my mind it makes sense for you to have to verify who you are. Mm-hmm. In my research, I have seen a lot of things that you were bringing up, Abigail, about, like, people who aren't able to get those IDs and things like that. And so there have been several lawsuits um, one particularly important one that usually gets brought up in this discussion is Crawford versus Marion County Election Board, uh, which took place, or this was in Indiana, 
basically this there was a Indiana made this law that required voters to provide photo ID and the Supreme it went all the way up to this Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled in a six to three decision oh, wow. which is pretty pretty stark. strong pretty yeah. strong um, that voter ID laws did not violate one's constitutional rights. But within this Indiana law, there were some alternatives for people who could not provide photo ID, which is something that you were concerned about earlier. Um, What they could do is, according to this Indiana law, they could cast a provisional ballot, and then within 10 days, they had to either bring a photo ID, so like if they forgot, they could within 10 days bring a photo ID, or sign a statement saying that they cannot afford to get a photo ID. Oh, okay. And so in like that to me is perfectly reasonable, yeah. right? Like yeah. if you forget, which all of us have, have done forgotten before. things before. Oh, yeah. and or Like we discussed you, at the beginning. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't, and with the, I think it's a big concern for people who cannot acquire ID in general, not yeah. even for voting. Like mm-hmm. for, I mean, I understand like a, f- a lot of the studies pointed to um, people who were, um, living in poor neighborhoods who didn't have a car, so didn't have the need for a driver's license because mm. they took public trans- public transportation mm-hmm. and they didn't have their birth certificate because of whatever reason, maybe they're immigrants or maybe they're um, adopted or maybe elderly people. Yeah. I actually mm-hmm. didn't think about this because um, one of the groups that is being disadvantaged, um, so to speak, by strict ID laws is elderly people mm. who mm. like can't just... They can't just go down to the DMV because they're in whatever situation Mm. they're in. So we'll continue our discussion next time in part two of today's episode. And once again, you've reached the inconclusive end of the inconclusive podcast. Sharing is caring. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the inconclusive podcast. Talk to you next time.